Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere. Where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic Podcast, where we do our weekly uh, post game live streams. You, uh, you can shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who will no longer wear the color purple, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, uh, there was a, a song in our youth by an artist named Gogol Bordello that was called Start Wearing Purple. Wearing Purple. He's very gypsy in his singing. It was wonderful. I used to dance to it. thought it was a great uh, mix on the playlist. It's been removed. I think besides Purple Rain, I'm purging all things purple um, from the closet. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's not good. Gerald, I'm going to give you a specific stat right here, all right? We're going to start it off on a, on a on a beautiful, brilliant note. Since Vince Young left, let's call it the 2006 era, also happened to be the time that I got the University of Texas. Gerald, against the two purple teams in that time frame, Texas has a 42% and a 30% winning uh, percentage. And that is only that good because they've managed to win three in a row against Kansas State, who they're five and seven against TCU, three and seven. Again, counting that one gets us one outside of uh, the Big 12 move where we are two and seven since TCU's been in the Big 12, which is an even worse percentage. So, sorry, Barney. Sorry, um, eggplant emoji. Sorry, um... Roy G. Biv, you're just Roy G. B. to me now. I'm taking the V right off. Uh, purple's done. It's over. Canceled. It's really tough. It's really tough because I look good in purple. But I, I <laughs> it's because I you're can regal. absolutely agree. Well, I appreciate that, Kyle. No, um, we're hurt. Kyle, you and I, we're both hurt. We're hurting. My wife put some purple cabbage in dinner tonight and I cried. <laughs> uh, I wept openly. My son asked me what was wrong and I couldn't tell him. <laughs> I couldn't get the words out. That's okay. It's not okay. And I don't know if I'll ever be okay, but Texas, same song, different verse, falls to TCU 33-31, so we'll spend way too much time recapping that. There's a lot of really awful stuff there. Uh, we will down the 40. We've got a lot of non-football news this week, and we'll obviously close the show out today with some bang the drum. So, Kyle, I, I don't even know what to say. For what seems like the, the at least the fourth time that you and I have been on this podcast, uh, third of the fourth, I guess, uh, Texas should have been better than TCU. Yep. Texas was not better than TCU and absolutely just came away really, really just, just sad. They, they went out sad. Uh, so basically ended the... Big 12's shot at a college football playoff. Uh, Texas, its chances at a uh, Big 12 championship game berth took a major hit. They'll basically have to win out, but I would say, from here on out for that to happen. But that's a, another conversation for another day. But there was a lot to go around. And I, and I think for me, and this may be uh, a controversial opinion, but from my estimation, the offense was actually the problem. Uh, the offense managed just 388 total yards, 236 through the air, 152 on the ground for 6.4 yards per play. Let's compare that to the 8.3 yards for uh, TCU. So there's your first uh, first big statistical disparity right there. Uh, Ellinger's numbers are deceptively good. I think he struggled. Uh, we'll talk more about this in just a minute. But uh, Kyle, just overall impressions of the offense, man. What did you think? What did you uh, – what did you – walk away feeling or thinking about the offense i mean it, it felt like this was a game where and we said it on our initial reaction that for a change for what seems like a few years uh has not been the case it's been the offense letting a defensive unit down right and we'll talk about the defense in a bit here but um it just felt like they they couldn't capitalize on opportunities put in front of them you know were there plenty of plays negated by questionable at best calls and officiating? Absolutely. But I mean, an offense against the first half in the last three minutes of tech or, you know, UTEP being 
entirely different, but you just thought there's a lot of talent. I mean, this is the, we were talking about this is statistically they were a top 10 unit in the country. Sam has a chance to break records for fastest to a thousand. I mean, this was just even for woes in this team, the offense really wasn't something that we worried about, right? It was it was not something that we worried about, but the amount of three and outs in this game, ill-timed ones at that, the the inability to have that identity in the past where if it was, you know, you know what, we're a team that's going to have eight-minute drives and, and turn them into points, and we're going to do that very specific thing very effectively, and that's going to, you know, be how we dictate and drive games that we want to win. Or, you know what, we're going to be home run plays, which has been something new but but exciting, but it just felt like... And injuries can play a part in that, sure. Um, they they didn't have the ability to really establish the running identity that they maybe maybe wanted to or should have. Um, and, and the the passing game was as bad as it's 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 looked probably maybe since last year at TCU. Um, which again, give TCU some credit when 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 that's the case, right? Um, but it just didn't feel like at any time it was a given that Texas could get what they want, and there have been multiple times basically everything except the second half of tech where maybe naively we all just believe that that the offense could go get what they wanted uh they may have a hiccup here and there or a a boneheaded player or whatever but for the most part they were one of those elite units that got what they wanted and i think we we got lulled into a false sense of security by what happened with utep coupled by the last three minutes of what would happen against Texas Tech. And I really, and maybe that is the offense. Maybe that could be the offense, but there's something about Gary Patterson. He's he's in Sam Ellinger's head, that's for sure. And I'll talk more about that in just a second. But I, I feel like for a team that doesn't, that at least has spent the last three seasons trying to figure out how to win, like they still don't know how to overcome that Gary Patterson. Like it's, it's and we talked about it in the post game, like playing against a Gary Patterson defense or just a Gary Patterson team is like that boa constrictor <laughs> game where they just slowly, slowly squeeze you. And then finally it's just like, I can't do this anymore. And, and you lose by two points. Uh, but you, you mentioned Sam Ellinger. And I think this was, um, I mean, statistically, this is one of Sam Ellinger's worst games that he's had since taking over as a full-time starter in 2018. We can just go ahead and talk about that. Now he finished with 17 of 36 for 236, four touchdowns and an interception, but that completion percentage, man, is I'm just going to go and say it uh, really terrible. It's not his worst, but he's been below 50 just three times in his career. So it's, well, not in his career, but it's taking over as a full-time right. starter in 2018. Two of those have been 2019 and 2020 against Gary Patterson. The other one was USC his sophomore year, but 47% against Gary Patterson on Saturday. And then again, a year ago, it was 45% against Gary Patterson. Like Patterson has got him pegged. Yeah. Patterson has absolutely got him pegged. And, and, you know, you have to play him twice. You'll have to play somebody twice if you make it to the Big 12 championship game. And I really hope and pray that it's not TCU uh, because that one will, I have very little confidence in Texas going up against TCU. But Ellinger um, made big plays, but it really, it was feast or famine, I think, for Ellinger in the passing game. Well, I mean, if you recall, last year Sam was coming in with a school record for completions without an interception. You know, getting to the point where you know shrewd podcasters like ourselves were looking up and doing math uh, for for national records on completions without an interception, and he left Fort Worth last year with four interceptions. Like just the the like to say that Gary Patterson was has been in 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 Ellinger's head is is an incredible understatement. The fact that he only had one and it was just, you know, honestly on one of those football plays that happened in 2020 when you're trying to go fast and your quarterback and receiver make different reads, you know, those happen. Those happen to every team in the country. I I, I don't like it, especially when it came at the end of, you know, Texas feeling like they wanted to go score at that point and and change the game as they'd fallen down 317-14 at halftime, ended up giving another three uh to, to TCU twenty to fourteen and then, you know, Texas kind of waving the white flag with a minute left to play, which you know, we're talking about Ellinger right now, but I don't know if I love that decision. But anyways, I there's something to be said about better and also quite a bit worse, right? At the same time, from from a year ago, I mean, Ellinger had I think 300 something yards last year. It's just he, he coupled it with four interceptions. It just felt like the offense couldn't get going. And hey, that may have been seven or eight first quarter penalties. That may have been negating, you know, 
100 plus yards in the first quarter off of just plays that didn't exist because of penalties. Um, there was a couple drops, sure, but I, I, I do feel like you think about a Maryland game uh, on the road, especially that second Maryland game, um, and you think about TCU last year and, and this year, and there have been a few times that even as a senior now that you put the ball in a guy's hands and you trust him and you hope that the development is there and the player is the caliber, but sometimes it's like a Jekyll and Hyde. And it's not often. It's not a 50-50 split by any means, and that number gets smaller as he gets older, but I'm hoping this is the entire Hyde or Jekyll and we get Hyde. I don't know which one of those is good, uh, but we get the good Sam, basically, to, to butcher a metaphor um, for the rest of the season, right? He got that out of his system, and it, it was a Gary Patterson flaw. And, and like you said, we don't have to see Patterson ever again, um, but especially this year. So uh, I don't know. Like I, I, I want to retain some optimism because Sam has been very good for the most of his career. Very, very, very good. Um, but I don't think this was one of those games. I think receivers didn't help him. We've said that a couple times this year. But I think he just missed some throws, made some reads that he wasn't on the same page. Uh, it just it, it, maybe he wasn't set up for success, but he certainly didn't create it himself. Ellinger, inconsistent is the only one that you can describe Sam Ellinger there because uh, he only had one spot in the game where he completed more than two consecutive passes, and that was yeah. to end the game. He completed four to close it. Uh, but there were two drops. Uh, the the miscommunication with Josh Moore. Um, when you watch the video of that, Josh Moore has that guy even, and there's an old saying when you're playing defensive back, if he's even, he's leaving. Yep. And I like if, if Ellinger and Moore are on the same page there, that could be six, and that could be the difference of the game. And there's a lot of uh, information, but he, uh, T- uh, Tariq Black, was absolutely terrible. I'm gonna go and say it like he and Ellinger were not on the same page. I think he was targeted like six or seven times, and wow. only was able to come up with one with one reception on that. Um, not a great outing from from a guy who we we had high hopes for. Yeah. Uh, maybe probably <laughs> clearly incorrectly uh, at this point. But I really like. It's hard to dog on Sam because Sam's been the guy for forever, but I think mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger's play in a lot of ways was the difference in this game. Now, again, the offense didn't really help him out a ton. Uh, Jake Smith dropped a touchdown. That was absolutely yeah. going six. Yeah. And that ball is in J- – and he knew it. He absolutely knew it. Um, that ball was going for six. Again, the miscommunication with Josh Moore on the – on it, was, it may have been an option route. I'm not sure. And they just read the defense differently. That's, again, neither here nor there. But – the, the simple fact that, you know, Josh Moore had a drop, Josh Moore had a misread, Jake Smith had a drop, like those are your guys that you yeah. expect to make plays. And from a wide receiver group, like your quarterback has to have confidence in you. And so uh, the fact that kind of two guys that we expect to make plays in this passing game uh, didn't really end up with it. Now, Jake Smith did deliver for you specifically with his six receptions and a score. Uh, Jared Wiley had one big one, ended up with two and 63. Uh, Washington, uh, Washington and Whittington were both out for the game. So this group has an opportunity, and we'll talk about this more on Thursday, but this group has an opportunity to really turn things around against OU, but against TCU, a team that they had a pretty significant size advantage on. They just couldn't get it figured out. Yeah, this is – I watch the receivers. I'm, I'm a former receiver. I have a heart for receivers. I love the passing revolution of the past few years. I watch receivers on offense. I keep an eye on the line. And, and certainly the backs as well. But, I mean, I watch receivers every play. And, and, and this just felt like one of our worst performances. We've been spoiled with, with at least having, you know, one of or both hopefully healthy of DuVernay and Colin Johnson last year. And in years past, we've always had just a couple difference makers who the quarterback could count on. Um, when Josh Moore came into this game, I think he was the guy that Sam felt like he could count on. I don't know that Sam felt like he had that guy this week, right? They just weren't on the same page. Um you know, there was your your typical kind of Brennan Eagles tax where you throw one up that you hope he catches and he just doesn't, right? And I don't know if you call that a drop, but it's contested and he doesn't pull it in. But then the guy gives you, you know, the, the big touchdown later and that kind of is what you're going to get from him, which is tough as a quarterback, but it, it's understood. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at your, your two biggest receivers on, on the on the day. Wiley uh, with the 52-yarder and, and Keontae Ingram with the 52-yarder. Ingram had another 30-some-odd yarder negated early on in the first quarter. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's 
probably not what we all predicted coming in, especially with getting Jake Smith back and, and he did have a lot of catches, but didn't really have the, the yardage maybe that we, we hoped or thought that he would have, uh, especially, you know, after the catch or taking that one and running for 40 yards open space. So, I mean, it, it's tough, right? I, I think if you're, um, if you're a wide receivers coach this week, you're, you have a lot of film to break down a lot of areas to get better. You're not killing these guys. Cause you know, it's just one of those bad games. Um, but you do feel like if that was a position that could have played a little bit better, that that could have maybe been the difference that could have been the bump for everything we'll, we'll talk about the running backs and, and every you know when it's the end of the game people focus on it for everything that's been said in the past 48 hours or so about Keontae Ingram you could say all of that about Jake Smith unfortunately that was equally a touchdown that was just um given up right and that that's that's tough right that's that's a tough thing you could you could you know probably say it about some of the the third downs that we we could have or should have converted that we didn't um so I mean you never lose a game by one play, right? This harkens back, and, and we talk about it more, but this harkens back to the same thing in Tech. It, it should not have been so close of a game. The frustrating thing is, uh, right, like Texas could have and should have been the better team on this Saturday, and, and the fact that they, they weren't able um, to they, – they let it come down to one play at the end uh, is frustrating. And, and to me, personally, I think a lot of that had to do with the receiver's performance. Sam not having the the chemistry, not having the guy, not having the, the person, if you're struggling, who goes and says, just put it up there, right? Well, I'll make it better. I'll, like, that is worth its weight in gold. If you're not, if you're not familiar with just the, the – receiving dynamics in college football having that guy on any given play it, it may be maybe in the new college football the most important thing you can have on a team absolutely and and again i think you mentioned it off top like josh moore was that guy coming into the game and he was not uh i mean he, he was okay i guess uh but a couple of miscommunications were the difference for him and i think that's that's a struggle that that texas has to has to figure out this week and and we do have to talk about the running backs keontae ingram 11 carries for 40 yards uh added in three receptions for 52 yards um roshan johnson injured uh in the game i believe uh finished with five carries for 63 yards uh and a reception for seven yards so um the 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 talk of a lot of people was the Keontae Ingram fumble on the one at the end of the game to, to basically seal it for for Texas if they again they could have gotten a stop on that third down but the defense had gotten three or four stops already so it's hard to ask for that many in a, in, in, uh, in a big 12 game but the 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 story of the day is TC or TCU forcing that fumble Keontae Ingram trying to make an effort play uh, probably a play he shouldn't have made but uh, you know when you go hurry up to try to keep the defense from uh, substituting and you can't really communicate about hey kid we've got four chances at this so we don't need a score on first down um, that that hampers it but I think the the running game was with Keontae had a couple of carries that looked decent where he kind of made some culture plays, made something out of nothing. Uh, Roshan really found some holes and some scenes that the offensive line was able, able to create and kind of roll those two together. The offensive line looked significantly better yes. uh, against TCU. They didn't give up any sacks, which is something that I was absolutely terrified about uh, going in. I honestly thought of Tex- the, the difference would be Texas giving up a bunch of sacks, but that didn't happen. Uh, but the, the running game of the offensive line really looked markedly appro- improved uh, from a week ago. And we said that had to happen, right? I mean, we said that was a necessity. I think if you get the same level of play from the receiving game and, and those things remain the same, which gives you a little bit of hope, right? It's okay to have a little hope. It's okay to be down, to be angry, to want things to be better, but it's also okay to have a little hope. And I think what we said is the line has to show market improvement. The running game has to be, um, you know, a, an active part of this offense. And, and I think in we, we saw that. I think we saw those things um, be true, right? If, if you want to go ahead and, and look at the decision-making to go – tempo on that Ingram run like I understand that I also understand that look you're down you have to score I don't really care about how much time is on there you haven't scored like 70 points this game you need to get it in there it's worked try to just keep them like you said with the package you have and punch it in um you know I guarantee you if Ingram had a chance he would say don't take me out let me finish this off let me get that touchdown and he was trying he tried to make an athlete play uh you can't be mad at a kid for that but anyways they said I think our offensive line looked good um in in the run game we we didn't have like I wouldn't misconstrue what I'm saying here it's not as though we had an unbelievable you know amount of rushing yards 150 um is still kind of small but again we we basically did that with uh 
Ingram and Johnson and, and the, the kind of typical Ellinger 50 that we've come to expect. So um, 100-ish yards from our two running backs, but they did it on 16 carries, right? So they were effective. Um, they, I think, no rushing touchdowns is a bummer, right? But, you know, it's it's improved. It is It is promising, and let's, you know, Let's see this next week. I think we did on this podcast. We said offensive line has to be better. It was running game. Got to be, you know, there. We're given the chance. It was again. I'm not going to sit here and blame a kid for the fumble. There are some things. Hey, never do that with one hand. You have a lot more downs. You don't have to do it on first down. Those things can be coached. That's just a reminder. That's low football IQ in a moment that, that you know you're trying to make a play. But I'm I'm okay with a guy trying to make a play he wanted it bad, but um, I do think that those things were better and it does give me some hope. I just think inattention to detail, some, some bad discipline, bad football IQ and and some bad game management at different times compared with, you know, some, some bad execution and some bad throws, right? Like that's it. That's where we were. We were, we were a sloppy offense that still almost could have and, and probably, should have won that game. Absolutely. And and I think Tom Herman said it really well on Monday. Even if Keontae holds on to that ball and they punch it in for six and go on to win, there's still so much from that game that you take away. Like that was terrible. And so uh, winning does, does cover a lot of, uh, a lot of issues, but the Texas offense was just absolutely bad on Saturday against TCU defensively, Texas, Gave up a lot of, of yards, but again, that's it's the Big 12, right? 457 total. Max Duggan had a decent day, 20 of 30 for 231. And really his numbers on the ground were more impressive. Mm. 79 yards and two scores. Looked like a young Sam Ellinger out there. Uh, but the, the defense improved. I'm going to go and say it. The defense, in spite of the yardage that they gave up, very clearly improved from week to week. Um, but still wasn't enough to overcome that offensive performance. But I think for me, I walk away feeling better about the defense than I did a week ago. Without a doubt, right? I think we said that the the defense has to improve, and they did. I think there's no – I mean, it was a low bar, sure, so good for them. But I I think there's no no one who can look at that and say that they did not improve, right? I mean, TCU controlled the time of possession. There's no doubt about it. They gave up 450 yards, but, I mean – they did something better. They kind of went to a to a uh, bend don't break. I think kind of after the initial first uh, touchdown drives in the first quarter, um, and kind of like second quarter until that 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 bad play that we all saw coming in the fourth quarter. I think you know they they looked like a really solid unit. They forced multiple three and outs. I mean the the stat that that I was going to give is that you know after every single one of the three and outs they forced every single one of the three and outs, all four of them, Texas went three and out immediately after and punted after the fumble that they forced, where they took the ball away, Texas went three and out and punted. That's tough on a defense, right? That's like, you're not setting yourself up for success at that point. Could the defense have been better? Sure. Could they have made a couple more plays and and saved our bacon? Sure. Um, I, I do think there was a glaring issue that, they got out schemed where, you know, they were playing empty sets a certain way. TCU clearly, you know, saw that, schemed it, and that's how Duggan scored when they went empty. That to me says quarterback draw, but they were in I don't know what you want to call it, forty three technique, twenty eight technique. They just had no one inside of the guards, it looked like they were shaded so far and then pulled a middle linebacker out. There was space for days, which feels from that camera angle that we were watching on TV like a very obvious scheme mistake, but uh, clearly, you know good on TCU. But again, you could point out individual mistakes and that's better, right? Think about a week ago, we were saying we can't count the number of missed tackles. We tried and we couldn't get there. There's just too many uh, against tech, right? So that's something I will take that. I will take that improvement. Um, I'd love for our team to our defense to be holding people under 28 points, 24 points every week, but it's the big 12. You're going to play some really good athletes in a, in a time when I've been having this conversation with multiple people. COVID to me means really good athletes right now are kind of outweighing really good coaching. And I know you're going to say Nick Saban, but that's a whole different situation. But I think really good athletes right now are just going out and winning certain games. That's how Arkansas wins their first SEC game in in however many years, right? A couple key players can just go out and make key plays. That's how some of these upsets have happened. I think there's going to be parity in college football this year because good athletes are going to go out and make good athlete plays. And so, 
the way that you do win that is you you coach that extra level on top. So you're not putting yourself in one possession games. One possession games are dangerous in 2020 during COVID. You have to scheme your way out of them, both on the offense and the defensive side of the ball. But I will say, this Texas defense, if it keeps getting better each week like this, does show some promise for sure. And I think the and I, I put this out there on our Twitter, like the defense played well enough for Texas to win this game. And and I want to point to the se- the sequence in the first half where TCU's offense goes punt, red zone field goal, red zone field goal, and then comes out of the half and kicks another field goal, right? You you force a punt and back to back red zone field goals. And what did the offense do with that? Punt, throw a pick run a minute out and go to the locker room. That's, that is absolutely offensive malpractice. And there's no two ways around it. Like you cannot say that any other way. And then again, in the second half toward the end of the game, Texas forced a field goal in the red zone, responded with a touchdown, felt like they figured something out. Yep. Next drive defense forces a punt three and or it's a four and out. It's like, yes, absolutely. Let's do this. Right. What do they do? Three plays, eight yards, punt it. Like that right there to me is the story of the game is if you come away with seven on any of those drives, a completely different ball game, come away with seven on any of those drives or heck just go field goal for field goal with TCU on those drives. And this is a completely different ball game. And for me, like it's a tragedy because for years for, for since Tom Herman got there, the conversation has been the defense is letting the offense down on a lot of occasions. Yep. And it's very rare that we, we get to say the defense played really well late and it's it, you know when you give up 33 points people that you know think about what football was 20 years ago that's too many points it's the big 12 yeah it's it's football in 2020 it is it is it is track and field on grass man it is it is absolutely we're going to put up points and so the whole thing like the key to winning in the big 12 is trading seven for three that's the key to winning in the big 12 yep. is you force hold them to three and you pick up seven and Texas was just unable to do that, and that's not on the defense. And so when I walk away, I feel pretty pretty decent about how the defense played, and I'm frustrated that the offense let them down. So, in in, in guys, if, if, listeners of this podcast, I should say uh, all guys and ladies, everyone who's listening, folks, friends, if you think that trend is changing, uh, you're not going to enjoy football for a couple of years. Let me just quickly interject. I didn't plan to bring this up on the podcast, but that, that style of football, um, do you know how our big program changing recruit who are super, super excited for Quinn Ewers, who is legitimately very unbelievably good, how he spent his Friday before this game. He had a wonderful outing. He threw five touchdowns, 384 yards. His team gave up 54 points. So he had to lead his offense to score 72 points. That's a basketball score. Some old school folks will say, no, like that's football nowadays. And, and, and you have to score, especially in the big 12, right? That's, that's where elite offenses come and, and, and great receivers and NFL scouts for, you know, these minds and these players who are offensive uh, geniuses, right? Like, that's it. That's what the, that's what the game is. And so I, you're right. You do have to commend the defense. You have to tip your hat. I'll say this. We've been wanting Texas's big name players on defense to step up, right? We know about the issues at linebacker. We know that it hurts when one of our starting linebackers at our thinnest position gets ejected on questionable. Again, that's also football now in, in 2020. It's terrible. Le- letter of the law, not spirit of the law. Uh, agreed. It was it was a bad call, but I'm saying that that is football now. That stuff happens. You know, it, it it's. I was unbelievably frustrated. Don't hear me wrong, but. When that happens, who needs to step up is, is your, your captains, your, your experienced players, your vocal leaders, your, your team leaders. You know who are three leading tackles were probably the names you're three most familiar with on the defense. Stearns uh, had 12 tackles. Coburn had 11 tackles, including two for a loss. And Joseph Osai had 11 tackles, three and a half behind the line of scrimmage, one sack, and one quarterback curry. Um, and a strip sack. And a, a forced fumble. Right. Yeah, exactly. There you go. And, and then the forced fumble on that sack, that's, that's a great point. So, I mean... That's what you want. Can I can I take a second and say no compliment without a caveat, which <laughs> my, my, my wife probably hates. I hope I don't do that to her. But the one sack is the only one we get to talk about. We wanted more pressure. We thought there would be more pressure. We thought this was a good offensive line for Texas to eat a little bit. They were still close, right? I think they had five hurries um, on the day and probably a couple more that didn't go down in the stat sheet that were close. Um, but, yeah, we – we still need, and I think that's where this defense can get a next level up, is hemming in a quarterback who's mobile. We get it. You don't want to let him get outside of you, but 
Uh, one way to do that is is get both hands on him and put him on the the grass, get that jersey dirty, uh, and, and get get some pressure on him and get a sack. And I think we all thought that would be a storyline. And unfortunately, it was a strict sack, the one we had, but that was the only one that we got. I mean, Joseph Osai's been flirting with it, and so there's going to be a game where Joseph Osai goes from flirting to to closing the deal regularly because he. I feel like he flirts with the sack. Basically every four downs, every four downs, Joseph Osai is like, I'm going to sniff this quarterback. <laughs> and so there's going to be a play where he, he is able to break through and finally get through. But I really think the difference for me, and this is, this is the stats that I put, I just have stats in the, in the show notes, but the difference for me, I think the one area where the Texas defense really needs to, needs to improve is on first downs. Uh, when you look at Texas's first down yardage, like 47, 48 ish percent of TCU's total yardage came on first down. Uh, which is a massive number. They averaged 6.3 on first down, so they averaged gaining six yards. That's not a way to play an efficient defense because you're, you're, the offense is ahead of the chains, right, the entire time. So when you look at TCU's average, uh, average um, distance to go, 6.3 because they spent a lot of the game in front of the chains. Texas average uh, yardage to go on offense, 9.3. So Texas gave them on defense three extra yards on every third down, which is tough. Uh, and TCU on third and shorts went five of seven. So like that right there is is really where it tells a story. If Texas yeah. can, you know, hold them to you know third, uh, second and five instead of second and four, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it changes the the page on the playbook you're on. And so there the the struggles on first down. I mean TCU and most of that was on the ground. Like they they averaged six one on the ground on first down. So like it wasn't anything fancy. It wasn't like hey we're gonna run trick plays. We're gonna do some fancy stuff. They were just lining up and running the ball yeah. at you on first down, and you, and you couldn't do anything about it. And that's the one area that I think the defense really needs to step up and improve next week. And I think we'll talk more about it on Thursday. I think they have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the tech stats um, played out well besides before that long one they gave up to Sirotic. We talked about, I think it was like 1.78 yards they were giving up per carry. Before that, I think they have a good chance to um, to do that in the next week. It just is unfortunate that they weren't able to make it three weeks in a row. Um, let me just say this, Gerald. We, we said that Texas offense, they lost that phase of the game. Defense, I'm willing to call it a wash because TCU played some good defense too. That leads to our offense playing bad. But Texas... I feel like really lost the third phase of the game. And that phase of course is officiating. Um, And (laughs) I I hate to be that guy, but that we always say it. If you notice the refs, if you're talking about the refs, it's probably a bad game for the refs, right? Like if you're a ref, the best single best thing that someone can say about you is, Oh, didn't even realize Ed Hockley was calling this game. They, They shouldn't know you're there, right? Like you shouldn't get screen time. We, I, a fan of the Premier League soccer, and there's a long-running joke just about a couple of the famous refs there about how they view themselves as the star of the game. It could be Messi versus Ronaldo, but it's their Saturday to shine, right? And I think these refs, I don't even think they they wanted to be on screen. I think they just were utterly incompetent and inept. The decisions when they picked up flags or didn't throw flags versus the decisions when they did, I mean, I can't say TCU didn't get you know, have the same issues and didn't struggle with it as well. I'm not saying it was only targeted at UT. It was just bad across the board. It was bad, horrendous since the, I believe it was a 2015 um, OSU game. This is the worst officiated. And that's saying something big 12 game I'd seen. They asked Herman about it in his presser um, because Neil Brown said, uh, and they asked him about his comment that um, that's West Virginia coach. Neil Brown said that, you know, these referees are not working with their usual crews. They're basically just the guys who are closest in proximity, which is, not necessarily how they always do. Um, again, COVID has impacts that that are far spreading. But Herman basically just responded and said, "Yeah, he's right," <laughs> and left it uh, at that. To his credit, I mean, I don't know how much more you need to expand, but he's right. The, the referees are struggling, and we've seen it in multiple games. But this is where it really came to a head, and this was just an utterly bad officiated game. I mean, it, it, there's no two ways about it. This was bad refereeing. Some of that is also schematic on Texas because like, how do you have an ineligible wide receiver on a, on a formation? That's yep. just Texas screwing, screwing that yep. up. And, yep. and I, I said this in our group, I said that in our group chat, like that's where the lack of spring ball really comes in because some of these alignments and assignments are really, are really intricate. And so that happened twice where like you've got a wide receiver who's ruled ineligible because somebody lined up wrong. And so it negated like, right. Those two plays are like 80 yards 
79 yards yeah. on two plays that were negated for an eligible man downfield, yep. which again, we can argue about whether or not it should have been or whether those flags should have been picked up or there should have been other flags that maybe were th- should have been thrown that weren't. But it was bad on both sides. So like, it's hard for me to blame the I, officials because the, the crew was just trash overall. Agreed. And that, I don't want to hear you er, hear the listeners hear me being that Texas fan. I don't ever like to be that Texas fan. I'm not saying we win if not for bad refereeing. They were out to get it. Nothing like that. It just was bad. This was just an incredible – this was a junior high level – refereeing job on both teams on both sides in all four quarters just bad they just stunk they were wrong they picked up like i said flags they shouldn't have they missed at least five or six really blatant obvious like how did you not throw a flag or you know a defensive back one-on-one and 50 yards down the field tackles a receiver um you know it 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 just i don't know it just wanted to say that it wouldn't be a fair assessment of this game if we didn't talk. And I jokingly called it the third phase of the game, but um, didn't talk about the officiating before we, we moved on. I'm frustrated. That's my big takeaway, Kyle. Is, and I didn't think I'd be frustrated in the offense. I thought I'd be frustrated in the defense once again, but it was the offense that really frustrated me. I think there's a, there's a lot left on the field. Kyle, we do have to do our Potsdamas update really quickly. You hit on one of yours, right? So that puts you even on the week. I missed on both. Yeah. <laughs> So I am now at a negative one where you sit at a three, which is a commanding four point lead. Proud, proud of you, Kyle. It is. It is. I will give credit. I, I Jake Smith got in by an inch on his touchdown. I said five touches and a touchdown. He had six catches and in, in, in a touchdown. I'll take it. You know, I just inched over there. Um, obviously, uh, I wanted, you know, multiple uh, sacks uh, this week. I know we both wanted multiple turnovers. Uh, the running back going 100 yards, uh, I would love to have been wrong and you to be right on that one. But yeah, there was it was it was it was four picks that I think if we got all four of our picks here, we're talking about a win, right? If we got three of those Absolutely. four, we're sitting here talking about a win. Two of those four, even. I think if we get the two defensive ones or the two offensive ones, right. we're talking about a win. But uh, either way, Texas now falls to one and one in conference, two and one on the season with a pivotal matchup against OU on the horizon. And we will have our Oklahoma preview show on Thursday. So now's the part of the show where we give some shine to the other sports on campus, but we'll also uh, do a couple quick football updates and we'll down the 40. So in his Monday press conference, Tom Herman gave an injury update, and that list is way longer than I want it to be. Uh, Iodele Adeoe has a dislocated shoulder. He kind of re- re-injured uh, the injury Roshan Johnson gave him in camp and will require surgery, putting him out several weeks. So Texas gets thinner at one of its thinnest positions. The aforementioned Roshan Johnson, who uh, didn't play late, has a shoulder sprain. Uh, they'll know after practice on Tuesday whether or not uh, what his condition will be. On the positive, Jordan Whittington practiced on Sunday. And as long as he makes it through the week of practice, he'll be available. Those are Tom Herman's words. Joshua Moore has something that sounds absolutely awful, a femoral contusion. Uh, but they'll know early in the week as well. Again, after Tuesday practice, uh, Marcus Washington is battling an ongoing ankle issue. Did not practice against, uh, did not play against TCU. Uh, Reese Latow and Tyler Owens both have knee slash hamstring issues and are doubtful. And Tyler Johnson has been uh, sidelined over the past several weeks due to some like non COVID health stuff. Uh, he was medically cleared for like half weight room workload a week ago. Uh, and now again, Texas kind of just awaits the, the updates from him. Yeah, let's let's hope that we can get uh, a number of those guys back. I think when we spend a lot of time this podcast talking about a receiving room, um, and, and I think just the fact, right, that we haven't really been able. Uh, in Herman's press, where he talked about how dire it got during the game, where they tried to on the fly move Jake Smith over to the Z position, but he just hadn't picked that up. He hadn't run that at all. He said he thought he was savvy enough, but they it was a one one drive experiment where they quickly pulled him back out. Um, the fact that you know we we talked about it, Schooler instantly has been. Uh, you know, a seven. We, I'd like to see a full, healthy receiving room, right? I'd like to see more Washington, Whittington, uh, all, all back and 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 healthy there. Um, so you know, it, it's uh, multiple positions to watch. I think running back with with Bijan not listed here, but also only got a few plays due to being out last week. We'll hope he gets better this week too. I think our our skill positions. We thought we just had so much depth. Um, and, and we've we've taken a quick look at what it looks like to just run that room over with a with an 18 wheeler, you know. And I'm not talking swoops here. So uh, hopefully we can get uh, some good news this week. 
Here's hoping some not so good news still on the football front. Uh, Kenyatta Watson, the second is officially in the transfer portal. Uh, a guy who's been battling for playing time in that secondary, but he is uh, looking for a way out. And you know what? We're, we're always uh, do what's best for you, young man. It's sad to see a talented player like that leave. But if you feel like you'll be able to get more playing time somewhere else then do what you got to do, man. Yeah. A guy who I, I've really actually been quite excited about to see him, um, make the leap and get more playing time. He came from, came from Georgia has, has looked really good in his time here. I think he expects to be playing more is, is every kind of thing we're getting. And also I love, I love the fact when athlete moms get involved on, on become Twitter personalities, I'm going to miss at Watts girl. If indeed he chooses to transfer somewhere else, because uh, she's a great Twitter follow. If you're not during, um, during the game, but uh, but you know, like I said, it does not mean that anyone is gone from the team just because they're in the portal. So we'll wait and see how this one plays out. Tom Herman spends all of his NCAA 2014 recruiting hours bringing those guys back onto the sports that need some more shine. Volleyball, holding court in the Frank Irwin Center. And they continue their run through Big 12. We didn't expect anything less, but they swept Kansas to move to 4-0 and on the season. Uh, soccer struggling still. Uh, lost on the road to a ranked team, number 7, West Virginia, 2-1. West Virginia actually scored twice in 16 seconds early in the game. Uh, Texas... Uh, tried to come back. Julia Grosso uh, scored her first goal of the season to close it to uh, to one, but was unable to overcome. Men's golf takes fourth in the Big 12 match play, falling to OU in the third place uh, third place match. The Big 12 actually features eight of the top 40 teams in the world, which is absolutely insane. Women's golf senior Agatha. Uh, Lacine, I'm going to go with a place third at the 2020 European ladies championship. Uh, she actually won that what three years ago. Mm -hmm. She's actually a native of Paris, uh, and was 12 under, it was one stroke behind the winner, uh, for that. So she was in striking distance. She actually, uh, was a first team all American a year ago. Women's tennis, one of our favorite sports on campus, Kyle women's tennis opened the fall season with a 17 to five singles record uh, over three days at TCU. I want you to talk about some women's tennis, Kyle. I know you're itching and burning to talk about it. Absolutely. So I am just getting through this podcast to get to the sports I care about, which is obviously the women's sports, um, you know, uh, Women's tennis kicked it off. Remember, tennis seasons are a little bit weird. This is the fall season. It's kind of shorter. Um, typically, rankings won't come out until the spring, but we're still watching, consuming everything we can get. If you remember where we last saw women's tennis, um, they had the shortened season. They were 11-3, and three, number four in the uh, Oracle ITA Division One rankings. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're a good team, and they're looking to, to continue to be good. So there were doubles and, and singles. I'm only talking about the singles here results because doubles occasionally were mixed with multiple schools, multiple things. It's a little less formal in the fall. But singles, obviously, one-on-one. -on -one. Texas went 17-5, and five, um, which was very, very good. Um, this field included TCOU, Arkansas, Baylor, North Texas. Um, and uh, two seniors, Fernanda Labrania, whose name one of my favorite on campus, as well as Marta Perez Moore, um, and freshman, <clears throat> this one I always struggle with, but Charlotte uh, Chavatipan is why I'm going to say it, uh, as well as right. uh, yeah, as well as Malika Rapolo. Each uh, all, or all four of them went three and zero in their. You know, they played one single match uh, a day the weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, so we had four of our uh, Longhorns go undefeated, and in fact. Um, Mrs. Charlotte C., uh, that's Chavatipan, uh, was named one of the three singles champions of the tournament. Coaches got together and voted the three best. Uh, again, it's it's not it's round robin, so you don't get to play everyone. So uh, they they just vote on him. So one of the champions. So it's good. It's it's a good opener. Happy to see them back. Happy to see uh, the you know uh, women's golf looking good. It would be good to get. Uh, Agatha Lasney um, back for that. It's like sports are kind of coming back. The women's sports are coming up. Volleyball, obviously looking fantastic. Um, you know, we, we, we're ready for some women's national championships, assuming those actually took place this year. In the final, I'll just I'll just close it out with the women's basketball. Um, since we're talking women's sports, uh, women's basketball added 2021 point guard Kendall Hunter from Side Creek this week. Uh, I believe she's top 25 player overall, number seven point guard in the country. So it could be a uh, 
could be a, a, a marquee signing that ends up a good point guard for the, the women's basketball team has always been a sign uh, of a good team, actually. So we're, we're excited for the new regime here with women's basketball on the 40 acres and bringing in some of the best in the country. This is where the Vic Schaefer move pays off. Now we can talk more about salaries and furloughs and why those things happen. But this is if, if you're looking for wins and you're looking for top-tier recruiting, which is why you hire Vic Schaefer, this is where the Vic Schaefer move pays off. But now is a part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I'm going to bring it full circle and talk a little bit about Texas TCU football, but this is a, a little different angle. After the um, – after the play that probably was the end of the game, even though there was still some craziness to be had because it's a Texas football game, um, in in the ensuing uh, time remaining with a with a safety and and time on the clock, the, the really uh, nail in the coffin last play of the game to me that, that decided it was the the fumble. Um, uh, again, it was not the only play that decided the game, but it was the last of a few plays that decided the outcome of the game where Keonta Ingram reached and ultimately uh, had the ball taken away from him by savvy senior Garrett Wallow. So I say that to say, after it happened, you you expect that a player takes that hard. It's a, it's a tough thing to do. You can think back, actually, um, to Keonta having an awful kind of goal line play against LSU last year, dropping a touchdown that, that again could have changed an outcome of that game. Um, and you remember that it took a few weeks, definitely the rest of that game and, and a few weeks for him to shake off what felt like kind of a mental um, burden, right? A kid who was just one of the best high school running backs I've ever seen, just an unbelievable career, always used to winning, um, always used to just carrying the team, being the best player in the field, never um, letting anyone down. Dealing with that is tough. I mean, sports psychologists exist. I mean, all of your best athletes you've ever heard of um, have probably visited them at some point in their career. It, it, it's tough at any position when all eyes and hundreds of thousands of them at that or millions uh, around the internet are, are are looking, watching, and talking about your your every move in these key moments. It takes a certain type of, of steel on the inside. And when something like that happens, you, you look at how they react. Right. And, and one of my favorite things that I saw was immediately after Sam Ellinger, who himself did not have a world beating day, as we talked about, um, was quick to, to build up, right? Sometimes there are times for what are you doing? Lighting a fire. And there are other times that, you know, the, the, instead of the backhand, the, the soft, uh, palm is needed where you hold someone in it and you pull them close, right? And Sam Ellinger um, showed that as a character and as a leader immediately after it happened, just just consoling him, bringing him up, you know, encouraging and, and, and consoling. Um, and then there was a video after the game that came out of multiple players huddled around him, including Jared Wiley, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite Longhorns. Um, it, and, and, you know, multiple, I think uh, Dele was next to him, uh, Jalen Ford was there, but the player who was down uh, taking a knee in front of him, kind of building him up, was freshman quarterback Jaquin and Jackson. And I love to see that. I love to see Jaquin and Jackson, again, a, a guy who's been a leader and who wants to be a leader on this Longhorn team, telling a guy who's older than him, but but needs to hear it in that moment, building him up. And then as they walked away, Bijan Robinson, again, a freshman, a guy who wants to be a contributor, a leader, who wants to be getting those carries in the future for the Longhorns, grabbed him, took a knee, and it looked like they went down in prayer um, over the moment and hopefully over the season. And, and it, it just was a bit heartwarming. I was frustrated. I was angry. I, you know, I'm sure all those players were. I'm sure all the fans were. But in that moment, character revealed itself, and it matters. And it was reassuring to see those things from the Longhorns who come around and and uplift a guy who needs it. Now, you know, let's see that translate to 150 yards for Keontae against OU, and uh, and you got yourself a 30 for 30. And you know, there are there are things more important than football. And you know, we we do two weekly podcasts and you know blog about football because we love it and it's something that's important to us. But the things that are more important than football. And so uh, I love seeing Keontae Ingram getting, getting the love from the people um, that are closest to him. And, and Sam Ellinger actually talked in the post game about his words to him. He basically said like, there, there are more things in life than football. Mm-hmm. There are bigger things. Don't let this make you doubt who you are, which is absolutely the right perspective. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on Texas's continued placed at the tip of the spear 
when it comes to name, image, and likeness rights, which is where they should be because Texas is one of the biggest brands in college football. But anywho, uh, so a consulting group on name, image, and likeness containing Urban Meyer and Oliver Luck, among several others, will begin advising Texas, LSU, and Arizona State, among some other schools, so those are the three marquee ones, on how to best and and, uh, most effectively leverage uh, the name, image, and likeness rules that are likely going to change and, and impact everything about college athletics. Uh, Texas is already kind of well ahead of it with the leverage program, and they are, uh, you know, with changing forever Texas to, to accommodate those things as well. But this is a game changer, and I love the the changing tide in college athletics that's allowing these players to really take ownership of their time and take ownership of themselves for, for some reason, you know, Baylor university can have uh, licensed Instagram influencers, but a player has to deactivate a monetized YouTube channel. That's ridiculous to me, right? Like a, a regular student can work, be a model and be an Instagram influencer and have a YouTube channel. But the moment you become a student athlete, for whatever reason, the rules change. And I just think that's absolutely Asinine. And so um, Texas being able to leverage this and get these student athletes value for their name, their image and their likeness is huge. And I think at Texas, it's our Texas is already at an advantage because even in the bad years, Texas was one of the most valuable brands in college athletics. And, and I think this is going to be a massive impact for Texas on the recruiting trail moving forward. And so I'm just excited that Texas continues to be uh, kind of at the tip of the spear when it comes to uh, the changing winds in college football. Oh, and Gerald, I am so excited to quit having to say, even when we're bad, we're really valuable. So as soon as those two uh, circles line up uh, and that Venn diagram shrinks to a a single circle of Texas being good and Texas being the Joneses uh, for all the things you just described, boy, it's going to be good times. I mean, this podcast, uh, guys, it's going to be so easy. We'll just be printing money. So uh, when, when, when that happens, we'll all be millionaires. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer on Twitter at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodwood. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for t- uh, tuning in again this weekend. And until next time, hook him. Hook him. Tom Herman is 2 and 13 when trailing at half. Yeah.